We are not human things. We're living. And just as we live, we constantly change. And so the ability uh, to grow, the ability to be better is a reality that we live with. But here's the thing. When I don't focus on weaknesses, the ability to be worse off tomorrow, to be worse 10 years from now, that's also a true reality. Empower You Podcast is devoted to bringing real world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you. Welcome back to Empower You Podcast. My name is Kidboy Cooper and I am your host. I'm so glad that you are here. For today's topic, we're going to be discussing practicing resilience and refocusing your strength. And our guest for today is none other than my very good friend, uh, Albert Brownlee. I could go and give some kind of really long intro about all the things that he does, but I'm really just going to let him tell you just a little bit about himself and then we'll get right into the in, into the interview. Um, Albert, how you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Well, listen. Um, talk about myself, huh? <laughs> That's right, man. This this is the part where you get to okay. tell us what you do, man. All right. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Uh, I am the immediate past CEO of Genesis Outreach. Genesis is a community housing development organization, and what that means in layman's terms is that we uh, provide programming and affordable housing, essential supportive services to at-risk homeless populations uh, in Northeast Indiana and throughout the state. Uh, I am a husband of almost 17 years, proudly married to my wife, Tamara, and we have four children together, Abby, Daniel, Ethan, and Mackenzie Grace. I have to always say her full name. <laughs> I'm not being pretentious. Kidway can tell you. <laughs> and, um, you know, just living the dream, man. Uh, I'm presently in law school, and it's been a journey. Uh, for my earliest mem- memories in life, when people ask me, what do I want to do when I grow up? I guess I'm finally growing up. and Because uh, that answer was always, I'm going to go to law school and become a lawyer. In my undergraduate years, I attended Clark Atlanta University, which is an HBCU, historically black college and university. And quite honestly, that shaped a lot of who I became in life. I didn't realize how pivotal it would be for the man that I became. Uh, but I totally... Uh, transformed at Clark Atlanta. Uh, I was always outgoing, always extroverted. Growing up as a child, attended Paul Harding High School, graduated with honors, and was excited to be attending an HBCU, to be going away to Atlanta, uh, actually against my parents' wishes, or I should say my father's wishes specifically. My dad was 
saying, up until he drove me to Atlanta, Georgia, you're not going to Atlanta. <laughs> wow, he was all the way against it, huh? He was all the way against it. and uh, But I had applied. He made me apply to a school in state. He wanted me to stay closer to home. But ultimately, he supported me and soon came around to see that it was one of the best decisions of my life. And from there, I really began to have what I'll call a cultural awakening. Having grown up in the Midwest, my father raised me to be unapologetically proud of who I was, and that included my blackness and, and my heritage and my people. Uh, but at Clark Atlanta, I embraced and was surrounded by a world that a sea of people that looked like me. And I remember going into City Hall in Atlanta and getting on an elevator. And when the doors opened, there were droves and droves of people that filed onto this elevator. But what was most impactful about that moment was that these were people who looked like me. As a matter of fact, it was a sea of people who looked like a lot of different people, but quite distinguishedly different from having grown up in Midwestern Indiana, second largest city in the state. Uh, I had never seen that many professional people of color yeah. who were leaders and just fouling in, you know, and it was as a young man, freshman in college, I began to have an awakening about who I was, who who God created me to be, and the opportunities that we had. I think that's really interesting what you mean, what you're saying as far as seeing yourself reflected in images of success, in images of leadership, in images of authority. Um, representation is so important, especially, you know, in your formative years and then going off to school um, to be surrounded by people who inspire you and who also look like you. I think that is just an invaluable experience. And uh, that's really cool that you you can recall that vividly that moment. You know, we all have these defining moments in our lives where we're just like, I'm not going to accept anything but this, the rest of, you know what I mean? And um, I think that's really powerful. And I, and I hope that, you know, everyone who's listening to this has had one of those moments or will have um, more of those moments where you just really understand you reach a moment of clarity about yourself and about what you're supposed to do with your life. So that sounds really, really cool. I wish I had gone to a uh, H. BCU, but um, I'm also proud of where I went to school. Listen, PWIs, they teach you a lot. It teaches you how to exist in a world away from, um, you know, the reality of what, what I had. And and I think what was interesting, because I've also have attended PWIs uh, for my master's program and, and now my uh, law schooling, and it's a total different culture. Yeah. And... Um, it is also a different system, and you learn how to navigate in both, uh, just as we do in real life. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, I've known Albert for quite a long time, and I've seen the work that you do in the community um, and the way that you extend yourself repeatedly for people um, and for uh, Genesis Outreach 
Um, and then for other folks who you just care about, who are in your camp and in your circle. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a really great thing. So I'm so excited to have you here to talk about this, this topic, um, because I think you're going to have a, a fantastic time with it. And I think uh, from an audience perspective, I feel like uh, this is a really important conversation that needs to be had. And so I'm really glad that you took the time to uh, to be here, man. Really appreciate it. Um, because it's been, um, we've all been in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but um, a lot of people have gotten sick and died. And so I have not pursued any um, in-person interviews for the sake of safety and then um, for pro- productivity. Uh, some of the people who I interview don't live in the state or um, they got really busy lives. It's easier to interface with people digitally um, and it's also safer at this point. But uh, thankfully, um, we got an opportunity uh, for the last topic in this series to have an in-person interview and with none other than a good friend of mine i'm gonna jump into one of these questions because we got to get this rolling me and me and albert will sit here and chop it up for hours y'all and you will be annoyed so uh and in tears and in tears (laughs) laughing crying anyway uh so the first question i want to ask you is what would you define as resilience Resilience to me is the ability to stand firm in the midst of all adversity, all challenges, and then to rebound. Most of us in life will go through all kind of different challenges. And, you know, some people play the game of my life was harder than yours. You've you've not been through what I've been through. But the reality is, whatever your specific issues have been, whatever things you've had to conquer, stumbling blocks that have come your way, whether they're equivalent uh, to something I've gone through or something you've gone through, really doesn't matter because in a person's life, it's critical to them. Right. It's all relative. It is. It's very relative. And so when you reach these moments, there's two things that typically happen. You either break and don't learn from the situation and end back up in it, or you have to learn to stand firm in it. A lot of things we like to just bypass. And resilience says, not only can I rebound from it, but oftentimes I have to live through it. And that's really what the resilient part is, you know, that ability to live through things and continue forward when everything around you says you should break. Everything around you says this should be over. You should not make it. You should not win. You should fail. And somehow you pull through. That's resilience. Wow. Being able to stand in the midst of things you can't control and not be broken. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What do you think it's more important to focus on um, your strengths or your weaknesses in those moments of resilience when you're trying to build your resilience? What should you focus on? Like uh, I know for for in in my in my own experience, there have been times I have become so overwhelmed with a problem that it just completely consumed my mind 
and everything because this is bothering me so much. I don't feel like I can proceed forward if I don't somehow figure it out. So would you say it's more important to focus on, you know, in those moments of resilience? Do I do I focus on the things I can control? Do I focus on trying to, to solve the problem? Like, how would you practice that resilience? A simple prayer I learned many years ago. I still quote it when needed and remind myself of it. And it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. So when you talk about strengths and weaknesses, which one do I need to rely on more? It's actually both. You have to be pliable. You have to be able to uh, transform given the situation. There are times when we're in situations and our strengths will be the thing that will carry us through. And then there are other times that we are in situations and our weaknesses are the things that are hampering us from moving forward. So in those scenarios, if my weakness is the stumbling block, my weakness is the thing I actually have to conquer, just focusing in on my strengths will do nothing other than keep me in that repetitive cycle of getting right back to my weakness and because it's the unaddressed thing. So in those moments, my strength doesn't matter. It's all about the thing that I'm unwilling to touch, the thing that is hard for me, the thing that I'm having difficulty with. And then in other times, your weaknesses don't matter because this isn't about something you lack. It's about what do I already have within me that will actually uh, carry me through. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Diego. You remember Dora and Diego, that, that show? And I, I forget which one had the backpack. Which one had the backpack? Was it Diego or was it Dora? She had the backpack? Okay. So Dora had the backpack. And the thing about the backpack was, remember when Dora would ever get in a complicating situation, they'd be like, backpack, backpack, you know, and then backpack would pop up. And it would show all these various items that she had in her backpack. And what they wanted the children to learn in that process was, how do I analyze all these things are useful? It's a hammer, it's a rope, it's a ball, and it's a, it's a microphone. Right now, Dora needs to figure out which one of these tools is most useful in this situation. That's how strengths work. We all have a backpack full of strengths, but just pulling out any strength in any situation, that it doesn't work like that. You have to figure out, what do I have in my backpack right now that I need to utilize in this situation? And, uh, and that's, that would be how my take on strengths versus weaknesses. It's not an either or, it's a both. Wow. It sounds like you're talking. Uh, um, it sounds like to me you need a measure of discernment, a measure of understanding of yourself that is so intricate that you are understanding how to properly apply your strengths um, in times where they would be useful and then also focus on your weaknesses when you realize the absence of that attention to that soft area is what is holding you back. And there's no amount of tools that fix that. That's just a you thing that you have to explore and endeavor to get better at. 
man, that's a lot of mental processing to do really fast. It is. It is. But as you said, discernment is a key. Uh, it's something that all of us have. Uh, being the ability to have have some introspection, to look at yourself with with openness, transparency, right. honesty. See, it's easy to oftentimes identify in others what they lack and what they're good at. It's harder to do that with yourself. People tend to struggle in not only identifying their weaknesses, but also properly identifying their strengths. I've seen countless scenarios of persons who think they're bad at something, but everyone on the outside looking in is like, you're great at that. And then on the other hand, they'll think they're really good at something. I'm an excellent communicator. And everyone's like, no, you're not. (laughs) And so, you know, but being able to come to the man in the mirror and stand there and look and see what's reflecting and not just reflect back what you want to see. Because we all want to see the best in ourselves. But not just being able to look and see that's the me who I I want to become, the me who I want to be, but this is the me that I am today. And being able to discern, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. Strengths are gifts. Gifts given to me to not only benefit me, but to benefit others around me. Here's the thing about weaknesses. No man is an island. Oftentimes, what our weaknesses are is something that someone else is really good at. We have to learn how to be able to connect with individuals and discern what they have. And and someone who's good at something that I suck at, it would benefit me to draw close to them. But you know what that requires, Kibway? That requires humility. It requires you to be able to sit there and say, I've got a lot of things together, but you know what? This 10% over here, <laughs> man, we can have a whole conversation about that 10%, you know? And so, but having a a, a, a true uh, reflection and understanding, being able to self-reflect, to look at oneself and say, I need to find someone who I can partner with. Because in my weakness, I can be made strong just by partnering with someone. If I'm not a good swimmer and I'm drowning, no matter how much I flail my arms and I'm flapping at the water, the propensity that I'm going to not make it back to shore is stronger than not. An accomplished swimmer can see me flapping getting weaker and weaker, expending all of my energy very far from shore. But an accomplished swimmer can swim from shore all the way out to me, grab me, and begin swimming with one arm, kicking with their feet while pulling me along with the other arm because they have strength in what I lack. And the reality is I would have never made it back to shore without being connected to the person who had the strength to do what I could not do myself in that moment. 
See, that is an entirely different perspective on your strengths. Because when I think about strengths, I'm thinking about, well, what can I do? And I feel like you're saying, well, there's always going to be limitations to what you can do. Do you also know anyone who is good at that, who can help you with that, that weakness or, or, you know, who, what strengths can you draw on from the other people who are around you, from other people who you trust? And those kind of relationships are built through that humility, through that transparency. Uh, Another thing you said was, you said, this is who I am today. And I think that's so very important because we never feel, well, I I can't speak for anybody else, (laughs) but I know for myself, I never feel completely one way every single day. Um, How can, let me rephrase that. I'm uniquely aware of certain strengths and or weaknesses differently from day to day. The consistency of who I am is always there. However, depending on the adversity, the challenge that I'm facing that day, I view myself differently. And to assess yourself and say, well, this is what I got going today. And this is what needs to happen today. This is what I'm going through right now. And I need strengths that maybe I don't have. So I'm going to get on the phone with somebody and tell them about what's going on and try to draw some of their strength and and allow them to pull me to shore rather than to just try to exhaust myself using tools that don't apply. Exactly. Exactly. And, And I think the key is today. Understanding that what I'm strong at today may be the very thing that I'm weak at tomorrow. And the thing that I'm weak at today may very well be the thing that I'm strong at tomorrow. We are not these uh, inanimate, lifeless objects that will remain the same day in and day out. I'm sitting here looking at your desk. That desk will be exactly positioned there tomorrow. That drawer that is out right now, except you close it, except I close it, except a wind comes through here and shuts it, it will be out tomorrow. It will be out the next day. It will be out the day after that until someone who actually has life comes along and pushes it closed. It's inanimate. Keyboard, my shoes, my coat that I hung up, or that you hung up, I should say. (laughs) It's still hanging right where you placed it. It will not move without some external living being coming into contact with it. We are not inanimate. The mere concept to think that we will be the exact same way I was yesterday and that I will be the exact same way 10 years from now removes all uh, reality of what it means to be alive. To be alive means to be present, means to be in the moment, and it means that whatever is influencing me externally, internally, uh, 
in my atmosphere, where I go, what I've experienced, how I wake, what I dreamed about last night, what the phone call that I got right before I was having a great day and was headed into a big meeting and got a phone call, got a text message, and suddenly my day shifts. Right. Because we're living. That's why we say we're human beings. We are not human things. We're living. And just as we live, we constantly change. And so the ability uh, to grow, the ability to be better is a reality that we live with. But here's the thing. When I don't focus on weaknesses, the ability to be worse off tomorrow, to be worse 10 years from now. That's also a true reality, which is why, again, it's not about just strengths, about weaknesses. No, you've got to look at the whole picture because what I do know, and I've lived just a little bit longer than you, just a little bit, just a little bit. (laughs) Internal jokes all the way here. But uh, what I know to be true is that things that were weaknesses five days ago that I've addressed, they're no longer weaknesses today. Things five days ago that were weaknesses that I have not yet addressed, they're still weaknesses today. And as a matter of fact, they might be even bigger weaknesses because when things linger, they grow. When things linger, they grow. What you feed will grow and what you starve will die. We have to learn how to feed ourselves the right things. You know, a lot of people, um, it's just the day and age in which we live, and rightfully so, myself included. We're all trying to be healthier individuals. We're we're all trying to live, or most of us, I should say, are trying to um, do things better, eat better, drink more water, uh, get more exercise. Today is the day, and now is the time. If you have a good idea, good intentions, and are looking for a way to get audience and to get your great message out to the world, I encourage you to start your very own podcast. You would be surprised the amount of folks who are waiting to hear your content. My name is Kibway Cooper, and I have been an audio engineer for the past seven years years and I am offering one-on-one coaching to help you get through the beginning stages of creating your very own podcast. Please reach out to me and let me know how I can help you. My email address is empoweryoupodcast at gmail.com. We offer one-on-one coaching, a live masterclass, and even a 10-module course that will take you through the entire process of creating, producing, and distributing your podcast to your very own listeners. This is a great avenue to connect with your audience and to connect with people who are in need of your voice. Again, reach out to me at empoweryoupodcast at gmail.com and let's get your podcast started today. Those of us who are conscious are trying to do these things to not only be better for ourselves, but to be better for the people around us, including wearing masks. But the thing is, When we don't focus on those things, we inevitably will probably get worse. We'll be in a worse state. 
by not simply addressing something that's a deficiency. Wow, man, that's a lot. Where where have you seen the most shortcomings in this area? I know you've done a lot of work with so many different demographics and types of people. Where have you seen the most shortcomings in 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 resilience in the ability to distinguish between you know what tools you need to use in the moment and what your your weaknesses and areas you need to get better are uh where where have you seen the most pitfalls occurring uh in in your line of work and just in your life in general um the biggest pitfall that people in general, line of work, myself, you as my friend, my mom, my dad, may he rest in peace, anyone we can name. The biggest 100% number one pitfall in all of our lives is consistency. Ooh. <laughs> you can't be consistent. If you can't be consistent, you can never fully uh, become who you're supposed to be. Right. Consistency requires temperance, which is self-control. Consistency requires dedication. Consistency requires resilience. No matter what you're going to do, there will come a moment that you will be challenged to go back to the old behavior. If you're not consistent, you will go back to the old behavior. If you're not dedicated to your task, you'll go back to it. If you're not resilient, meaning if you're not tenacious enough to to stick through those hard times when you really want to go back. See, some of us aren't honest enough. Some of us aren't honest enough about our weaknesses. Here's the thing about weaknesses. Everyone talks about weaknesses like they're negative, but... And they are negative, I guess, in in one sense. But what I mean by that is a lot of us talk about weaknesses in the sense as if they're not enjoyable. Oh, I'm done with you. Weaknesses, oftentimes, (laughs) we enjoy our weaknesses. So that's the part they don't tell you. They don't tell you. Yeah. They feel real good. You know, you enjoy how that weakness makes you feel. Mm. You enjoy doing that thing that you really know isn't going to benefit you. I'm trying to lose weight. I, I I know that that I don't need to eat 12 cookies and I'm trying to lose weight. It's not going to meet my results. But those cho- those fresh baked chocolate chip cookies, they smell so good. Now, I could say I could have one. I could have one and be fine. But because I'm not consistent, I'm not dedicated, I'll get one and I'll know I don't need the second one, but I'll go back and get another one. And so consistency, uh, it kicks in, it, it shifts you to, to a new dimension. Um, I, you know, I just recently celebrated, uh, and by celebrated, I mean, it was just a personal thing. I didn't do anything. There was no fanfare. I didn't even make a post on Facebook. I actually thought I was going to make a post and, but I didn't feel inclined to, but I stopped drinking. Uh, the last drink that I took in life was on January the 10th. 2020. And I decided on January 11th, 2020, I wasn't going to drink anymore. At the time I made that decision. 
out of situationally. Um, a lot of times we make decisions in the moment of things, situations going on, and it's like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, 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 and this, is where, this is where the rubber meets the road on what I'm saying. Seven days out of making that decision, I'm really thinking about what I declared. Like, am I really going to do this? A month out, wow. You know, you do anything for 21 days, it becomes a habit. A month out, I'm feeling good about myself. Like, wow, I can't believe I made that decision. And not because I was just the world's biggest alcoholic and drinking all the time. I actually was just what I would consider a social drinker, drinking out when I'm out socially, business meetings, things of that nature. And at most times uh, doing that uh, in a very um, responsible manner. But what was different is I was now having social moments. I was having business meetings. I was having, like I said, sometimes just that desire to taste something that I had grown accustomed to drinking. Uh, kettle one and tonic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm laughing because my friend here knows me well. <laughs> but the botanical one. <laughs> but what's my point? Each day, that I grew further and further away from January the 11th. The stronger I became, the more consistent I became, the more dedicated I became, the more resilient I became to the declaration that I made on January the 11th. Fast forward to January the 10th, 2021, and that seems a world away. I'm not missing it. I made jokes here with you about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't long for it. I get that everyone's journey is different, right? Especially when you talk about things that can be addictive. So I understand that for some, this would probably not be their journey. Uh, but for me, what I found was in being consistent to the declaration that I made regarding drinking, I've not only uh, gotten better at that, I'm a better husband today. I'm a better father today. And, and, and I always, whenever I make this statement, I've made it to others prior to now. Let me also, for all those out there listening, understand I was already an excellent husband and father. Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask my friends. They'll tell you that. Uh, I love my family, but I'm better at it today. Right. I am a better student today. I'm a better listener today. I, I looked at how great my life changed through one decision and being consistent in that. And, and listen, I, I was thinking about it even to the point I was talking to a friend, might have been you as a matter of fact, and at the time I was reflecting on all of this and I went to say, you know, hey, it just dawned on me. I've changed my environment because I don't drink. There's places that I was going last 
at the beginning of last year that I did not go the rest of the year and have no desire to go to now. Uh, it was transformative for me. When I really realized how transformative it was in my life is when I got on the scale the day before Thanksgiving, the physical weighing scale. I wanted to see how much I weighed because I knew I gained weight like most during the pandemic. And uh, I wanted to see where I was and, and the number that popped up, which I will not say, <laughs> was the largest I've ever weighed in life. And I remember having a conversation with you that night and saying, man, I got to do something about my weight. I want to lose weight. And you begin to strengthen me with these words. You said, Albert, you are one of the most consistent people I know. When you put your mind to doing something, you do it. Man, you said at the beginning of this year, you were going to stop drinking. And we were out drinking on January the 10th together. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And you are an eyewitness yeah. that I have not taken a drink since January the 10th in any setting. Right. And you reminded me of that. You said, Albert, you woke up the last Monday in January and said, I'm going to go to law school. You got online. You applied for the LSAT. You took the test a month later. Without studying, you applied to schools a month later, got in. And again, I'm not saying this boastfully. And I started law school in August and I had a great semester. Thankfully, I attribute a lot of that to God's hand being over my life and favoring me to do those things and giving me the intelligence that I needed. But my point is, and that you were reminding me was, you can do this. Because I was really discouraged that I couldn't. And so after talking to you in that conversation, I said, well, Thanksgiving tomorrow, I'm not even going to lie to myself, that transparent look, right? I'm not about to fake lie to myself. I'm starting a diet tonight. No. I said, I'm going to research. I'm going to give it a couple of days. But the Monday after Thanksgiving, November the 30th, I am going to make a lifestyle change for me. Now, which you're also aware, aware of, and, and to the point here that I'm making, uh, the year before, in 2019, I was plant-based for most of that year. Right. And I remember feeling really healthy. I remember losing some inches. And I remember people were looking at me like, you're losing weight. And I remember my skin looked great. And, and I felt vibrant all the time. And I had a natural glow. But I got on the scale the Wednesday before Thanksgiving 2019. And in that entire time, I had only lost six pounds. And that for me, my goal was to lose weight. It was not to feel better. It was not to have glowing skin. I wanted to see the number on the scale go down. So to fast forward a year to the Wednesday before Thanksgiving 2020 and see that not only had the six pounds I had lost over the course of 2019, I had gained them and then some. I was quite discouraged. But your word really encouraged me, and I decided in that moment, Kibway's right. 
That's where I'm talking about the power of connecting. You would say you have went all year long. You were strong. I was strong enough, but I was not strong enough to think that I could conquer my weight giant that was in front of me. And so I had to connect with someone who was strong in that area. You're diligent. You get up, you work out. You can, I've seen you go to bed late at night and still get up early the next day to go work out because you're committed. So that was that strength, that same analogy about swimming. At that point, I'm drowning. I'm like, man, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. You came along. I can swim in this area, Albert. Let me give you some skills. You, you swam me back to shore, and then you told me how I could swim. You said the same way you stop drinking is the same way you can lose weight. I believe in you. Sometimes just having the vote of confidence to have someone who's championing you on to say, I believe you can do this. The point I'm making, which you already know, but the listeners are knowing, and again, no posts have been made because I've been in a very different place about what I share and what I don't share. Uh, we might get around to that or it might be on a, another podcast sometime later. But on November the 30th, I started my lifestyle change. And by the end of December, I lost 20 pounds. I remember I was checking in with you every week. Like, man, this is crazy. And I couldn't believe that I lost 20 pounds in one month and had the year prior only lost six in the course of a year. But what was different, Kidway, what was significantly different, because I'm still primarily plant-based because I like that lifestyle and it works for me. Absolutely. My mindset changed. Right. Ooh. You know, that's, that's, that's so... That's why this podcast exists, man. That's why it exists, because the first battleground is your mind. And if you lose there, you're always going to lose at everything else. You're always just going to lose at everything else, because the consistency, that willpower takes place in your mind. Your ability to save money takes place in your mind, your mindset. Your ability to overcome obstacles takes place in your mind. Resiliency takes place in your mind. And you, your determination is what? sets your intention for the rest of your body, spirit, entity to follow. Um, but if your mind is all over the place, if you can't borrow someone else's confidence or borrow someone else's strengths or, or, or realize that, you know, I'm deficient in this area and I need help, you can't even broach the subject of your mind is under attack here. You know, I, I made a post the other day and I said, um, you know, your worst moments, your worst uh, habits are, are a manifestation of how you feel about yourself when you're under duress. You know, when when you feel like you're not being resilient, when you feel like, you know, the tension is too high or the stress is too high or you don't feel good enough, like all those behaviors manifest themselves after those thoughts start to come into play. And if you're not resilient against those ideas, if you don't have any strategies, any safe space to lay your armor down and really assess your damage, 
you know, um, it's difficult to establish a positive direction. And that's why, you know, we go over things in this podcast. That's why I, I take the time and I, I implore other people and guests who are kind enough to take the time to impart some of this wisdom. Because if someone doesn't tell you these things, you won't know them. I grew up in the church and I distinctly remember not wanting to be like anyone there. And that doesn't mean that those people were bad people. That just means the examples that were shown to me, you know, and this has nothing to do with anybody's lifestyle or this is this is not shade or 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 demeaning to anyone. This is just what I saw and wanted for my life was completely different. And so I didn't have mentors. I didn't have a uh, somebody I could sit down and talk with every week. I didn't have people who would pour that into you. You know, I had parents who thankfully, you know, unlike uh, uh, many people, they don't have a support system. And my parents didn't understand all of my dreams and aspirations and still don't. But they did know that they raised me right. And they trusted that the teachings that they gave me would hold true. And so that was the main thing that they continued to encourage in me. Uh, was to hold true to my principles because those would inform my mental state, which would allow me to overcome things. And so just what you're saying as far as creating a space or, 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 or realizing that your deficit in an area, realizing that your resilience is dependent on your mind state, on your mindset, the things that you allow to feed you and make you glow or not make you glow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, right. uh, and that, that is so important. Tell me about, you know, uh, um, a time where, where, you had to really redefine or, or help someone else redefine their mind state. Um, I, I keep going back to the, the groups that you work with. So first, this is a two part question. First, tell me a little bit about the population that you serve in Genesis outreach. And then also about the mind states that can perpetuate problems, perpetuate harmful situations perpetuate addictions and things like that based off of your own experience because I really want to capture um, the 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 knowledge the awareness of what your mind state can produce in your life and how you can inherit mindset states that are not really yours they just come with the environment you grew up in and it's still up to you to change that, to, to, to be transparent enough, like you said, to start waving in for help, to start accepting help and say, I'm drowning here. You know, tell me about that. Sure. Well, the first part of your question, what population do we serve? Uh, Genesis outreach when it began in 1988, when I was a little boy, I certainly didn't find, found the organization, <laughs> but, um, when uh, their first mission was dedicated to women who were overcoming drug and alcohol addictions with a key emphasis to minority women or women in an urban city environment, uh, because at that time in the city of Fort Wayne, any addiction programs for women were all located outside mm -hmm. of 
the immediate, what we consider city limits of Fort Wayne. They were located on the outskirts of town. And so they wanted to develop a program. It was the first developed uh, in the inner city and being owned and operated by minority predominant staff uh, to have this level of comfort that sometimes uh, based upon culture is not there when going into other environments. Today, Genesis serves homeless men, homeless women, homeless families, uh, some battling with addictions, others battling with chronic homelessness, some battling with mental illness. Uh, so the predominant connecting factor with all populations is homelessness, indigence, low income, very low income, usually zero to 30% of the area median income, which means that's the poorest of the poor, if you've heard terms like that. People who aren't earning a livable wage, uh, persons who have broken work histories, uh, reentry persons, persons who have been incarcerated, all of these are part of our service population. And the connecting factor, they don't have anywhere to live. Uh, the model that we follow is a housing first model, which says if you give someone a house, then you can begin to address the other areas of deficiencies in their lives. And there was a study that has shown that people who do not have somewhere to live, they uh, intrinsically, will never be able to address all of the other issues because having a home is a basic necessity of shelter, of safety. It's, it's a comfort. It, and when you talk about mentality, when a person has something that they can call their own ownership, uh, they know they have somewhere to lay their head at night. They know their children have a bed. Uh, those things then will allow them oftentimes to settle internally and begin to address all the other areas of deficiency. And what we found is that homelessness oftentimes isn't the issue. Mm. Homelessness was just a, a symptom. It was a symptom. Oh, it was man. a consequence of something. Yeah. Uh, people using drugs oftentimes is not the issue. Drug addiction and alcoholism more times than not are coping mechanisms. And so it becomes about peeling back the layers. Yeah. And, and, and so in answering the question, it's hard to say because it really looks different. And, and so at Genesis, we, we serve our clients in a supportive environment that says your program is individually based. We have metrics. We have general commonalities that we apply to all clients we serve. But we peel back that onion and we find there's different stuff underneath. What I can tell you for any population that we serve is that until a person reaches their own personal rock bottom, they will never change. Ooh. That includes me and you. It's easy to say that about people with addictions and people who are living under bridges and, and people who have mental illnesses, but it's harder to say that about those of us who are college educated and think we've arrived. <laughs> but the reality right. is, Kibway, you and I, and probably... 98% of the listeners out there uh, is that until we reach our own personal rock bottoms in those areas of deficiency, which is relative, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. We will not make changes. Uh, the other side of that, that 
when when you talk about mentality, uh, I have most most of my former staff members. I would have them read a book called Bridges Out of Poverty. A overarching theme with that population again is indigency, poverty, low income. There is a mental state that is associated with poverty. People who grow up impoverished develop an impoverished mental state. People who grow up poor, people who grow up in environments where there were lack, that becomes a part of how they view and see life. Which can damage or or impact their ability to be resilient in a productive way. 100% impacts their ability to not only be resilient, but that whole concept, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I hate when people say that. Because number one, some people don't have a pair of boots. So what straps are they to use? Mm -hmm. Number two, if I have boots, but no one's ever shown me how to use the straps properly, just telling me to pull them up isn't going to do me any good. Number three, if I have boots, have straps and know how to use them, but my arms have been cut off, from all of the damage that I've done in my life, well, I've got boots. I know I use arms, but I don't have fingers. I don't have hands. So what do you mean pull yourself up? That is what poverty mentality is. You give an impoverished person $50,000, I guarantee you they will be impoverished next year. Probably sooner. Absolutely. Because the skill set needed to manage that, the skill set needed to know what to do with that to grow it so that that can become a springboard, it won't be there. And so Bridges Out of Poverty, um, it's a book, people can get it, look it up, it'll help them, it will change their mentality about people who are less fortunate. A lot of us have just terrible uh, conceptions of people who are poor, of people who are less what society would consider less fortunate uh the people that society want to tuck away mentally ill persons the 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 cousin or the neighbor who's a family eyesore right that we just want to stick in a closet somewhere or or disregard or that people will walk past and turn their heads because they don't want to acknowledge that they know that person because of this deficiency they have those persons are just as valuable, are just as needed in this world, have something to offer, but they are as much victims of their circumstance as they are victims of society. And until someone extends a hand and tries to help them, stop, stop, stop. Patting at the water, you're just drowning and it's not helping. Here's a better way. Right. Mm. Oh my goodness. Uh this entire topic I'm thinking about differently. You know, um, because you know, I think about resilience and I think about your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Your ability to manage your stress, manage a difficult situation. And and now I guess I'm thinking, you know, resiliency has every bit to do with 
um, the mind state sometimes or, or circumstances uh, that are outside of your control. Um, you know, some people you, you mentioned when you were talking about, you know, people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and maybe they don't have boots. A lot of the situations as I get older that I hear about, you know, we talked about addictions and things just being the 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 symptom of something else. So many of these issues started when these were were children who had absolutely no control. And so they never learned to be resilient because that was never modeled for them. And so now they're an adult and they've been operating in the same mindset that they inherited from a situation they had no control over. So now even in situations they do have control over, they have no power. You know, they have no strength to 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 make those situations right outside of guidance, outside of instruction, outside of borrowing someone else's strengths, which is what Genesis Outreach tries to be for other people, that strength that they need in order to start the process of dealing with these other underlying issues. Mm. Yeah, man, it's really, um, like you said, it's a really deep topic. Um, as you were speaking, I was reminded of, of, uh, a story that my crim law, which is criminal law, I, I speak lawyer language now, <laughs> but my crim law professor uh, this past semester shared with us. And at the time uh, she was, we were studying about sex crimes and um, she formerly practiced as a criminal lawyer. And so she was sharing about, uh, cause the questions arose by, you know, these new one L law students. And we're like, how do you defend some things? You know, the, uh, our legal system says that everyone, including guilty people, and, and we don't learn it this way, but this is how you, they're teaching it to you in law school. Cause you don't hear it this way. Everyone, even guilty people are still entitled to a good defense based upon our legal system. And, and so it immediately brought up questions, well, about ethical values. How do you separate yourself when you're in an environment where you have to defend something that maybe you don't agree that this per you don't want to feel like this person deserves um, a defense. And she, she talked about, how she had a client one time who was uh, had been charged with child molestation. And she's a mother. She said, I'm a mother. And many of you are parents. And even if you're not parents, you know, that's one of those crimes that kind of across the board, you know, most of society, unless that's an issue that you struggle with, turns this really kind of, you know, they're crimes against women and against children we consider those to be more heinous because we consider those to be vulnerable populations, right. even more so than crimes against men. Right. And so uh, she was saying, you know, I carry those beliefs that most of us carry. She said, and, but where I struggled, she said, is because in meeting with him as his attorney, 
She said, and he was absolutely guilty. I knew he was guilty. She said, but also as I'm getting to know my client, which is a part of being a good lawyer, she said he was a really nice man. But he had this deficiency, a very bad one. And she said, and for most, I get, you know, your stomachs are turning right now and you feel like, how do you defend? How do you go in court? And, and you know, and one of the things she's really big on, on uh, restorative justice. So in a lot of situations like that, you know, um, there's been studies to show, and I don't want to get too deep off into my, you know, social justice things, but, you know, restorative justice says in with situations oftentimes like that, that alternative sentencing can be more beneficial than simply putting someone in jail and throwing the key away. And, and, and so she's thinking about all of those things. What would really be best for this guilty person in this situation? Um, but she said, as I began to research my client and then understand his scenario, it sucked because he didn't create it. What? She, this was the scenario. Right, exactly. He, yes, 100% made the choices he made as an adult male and did the things he did and there too, you know, would have to take his sentence however that laid out in that case. But the environment, the thing that shaped him, his story, which she waited to share to the end, like I'm doing now, is that at the he had his first sexual experience at the age of eight. His first sexual experience was at the hands of his mother forcing him to have sexual relations with her fellow co-workers. They were prostitutes. And so she had her eight-year-old son sleeping with adult women from the time he was eight, and that's the environment he grew up in. What that does to a person's mental psyche is their first sexual experience is now shaped by what they went through. And so when he connects... His sexual endorphins connect to the highest form of what I've experienced. It was sex between a child and an adult. And while many would come back and say, well, he's an adult. He should have known better. He was an adult. He did know better. But it did not change the fact that his environment. And I hope we don't lose some of your listeners. I hope they don't get mad at me and egregiously vexed because they've been enjoying the conversation (laughs) up till now because I'm not justifying. So let me be very clear. I'm not justifying his molesting children. What I'm explaining to you is that there was a reason behind why this adult male was seeking out sexual experiences with children. Based off of a situation he had no control over to begin with. No. And it shaped him into the sexual predator, as we would call him. Correct. Absolutely. It shaped him into the predator he became. 
It does. And, and that's the hard part, Kibway, because it does not excuse his behavior. Absolutely. Because not. there are plenty of people Absolutely. who have been molested as Correct. children who do not grow up to become molesters. Absolutely. But it goes to the the battles that we are facing in terms of resiliency and, and strengths and weaknesses. It goes to understanding. It goes right back to the beginning of the conversation where you have you have to be honest with yourself about what strengths and weaknesses you have and not just talk about the good stuff, not just address the the stuff that makes you feel good about yourself. You have to be honest about the environments and the things that you're dealing with. Otherwise, how can you build that resilience if you refuse to actually look at the weaknesses that are disabling your ability to be resilient? Because your your lack of resilience is based on something. It's based off of a fear, uh, um, an ism, uh, a tendency, a behavior. There's something there that that that. Uh, disengages your ability to be consistent in thought in a positive manner and we have to address these things and so that's that is that is wild man oh my god it is it is I not be a lawyer I don't want to deal with that. oh man telling, I can man, tell you I don't want to deal with that listen it was you know one of the things that that they taught us and and even uh, some friends here in town you know who have you know, people that I know in, in a way who, who are lawyers or who have recently come out of law school, just sharing, you know, it, it can be tough, man, when you're learning law uh, because you're learning things at a very different capacity. It's not, you know, what you see on TV and Law and Order, Special Victims Unit and all these crime shows, you know, uh, some of that is is lawyering, but a whole lot of it isn't. And, um, you know, and, and what we tend to here in the news and in media, that's just the bare surface uh, of cri criminal cases and, and, and civil cases. It is wild. I remember after our first week in law school, they uh, they were <laughs> we were in a kind of symposium and they were asking us, they said, so what do you all think? And we were exhausted because we went through, they all the one L's had to, basically we went through like eight hours a day classes uh our first week they call it prep week and i remember at the end of prep week uh we were in a symposium about 300 of us all one else and they they said how do you feel at the end of your first week of law school and a young lady spoke up she said i am just utterly disappointed in humanity and we all bust out laughing because that was it was the sentiments of all of our hearts we're like people when you're reading case briefs and and actually reading some of the these crazy 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 things things that people have sued for things that people have been injured criminal cases torts it is just by far some of the most disenchanting things and you have to learn to breathe and uh but it's also very encouraging because you know i could look at humans and look at human life and some of our frailties and say it's not worth a pot of beans 
Uh, but then I can reflect on individuals like you and like others and and some of our clients that we served at Genesis who have totally turned their lives around. And for those individuals, for my little children, it's 100% worth it. Um, it's not for everyone, but it is certainly worth it. And that's what I see. I, I recognize that it, it is truly a calling. Wow. Man, we got into deep water there, man. We did. Uh, just a quick recap. Uh, no one here uh, supports the abuse in any way, shape, or form of any persons, let alone children. And uh, Albert Brownlee is becoming a lawyer, and so he was just digressing about some of his studies. A um, couple things, and then we're going to have to end this eventually here. Number one tip you would tell somebody um, about how to start the process of building their resiliency. Uh, maybe somebody is listening to this podcast and they're like, wow, I haven't really taken the time to address the things that are keeping me from being resilient, the things that are keeping me from being consistent, the things that are keeping me from really occupying my strengths in a new and, and empowered way. What would be your number one tip for them? Find your person. Mm. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about a boyfriend. I'm not talking about a girlfriend. I'm talking about a lover. I'm not even talking about a spiritual entity, your God, what you worship. Find a physical person that you can connect with. Some of us call that an accountability partner. Some of us call that a mentor. Some of us call that a teacher, a prophet. Whatever you need to call it, find your person that you can connect with, that you can be utterly, and when I say utterly, I mean utterly, 100% transparent with in a non judgmental environment you find that person where you mutually because that's also the key right you mutually can be transparent with one another you mutually will challenge one another you mutually will call each other out when you see the things that are not good in that person and you will mutually help each other rise to their fullest capacity. You cannot negate uh, peer support. You cannot negate the strength of having mentors, accountability partners. Community. Um, community. The Bible says it this way. Two scriptures. No man is an island unto himself. Mm. We were created to be a community. Right. I know some of us are loners. I know some of us don't like, <laughs> and I say us, I'm totally not the loner type. I'm totally extroverted type A personality. My dear friend here <laughs> is total opposite of me uh, when it comes to that. Uh, but that's why we also click. Uh, because again, what, what he lacks I, I'm strong at and what I lack he's strong at and it's been an amazing friendship an amazing brotherhood um, one in which we both often reflect and say how better we are because of our friendship right. 
our brotherhood have, has made us individually and holistically, collectively better. We are better people. We are working on our faults in a very supportive, non-judgmental environment. We call each other out about our faults. We make each other laugh about our faults, but we also compliment each other about our successes. And, and we say, way to go, man. I see you're really doing that well. Continue. To, you need that person. The second scripture is uh, a Proverbs that says, uh, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. What does that mean? Number one, brother being typically uh, someone in that sense with that proverb is talking about someone who is physically related to you. But sometimes the strength that you need, the companionship that you need, the connection you need, it's not with these persons who we are naturally connected to. A lot of us want to be transparent and, and are okay with being open with those whom we love, those who know most of our dirt anyway. So it's okay. I can share my dirt. But there's a different strength that comes into uh, connecting with someone who says we're not blood related, related, but we are related by spirit. And I connect with you. And as a matter of fact, I have friends who who at various points and times in their in my life have been closer to me than my own family members. That's not a bad thing. I'm not telling people don't love your family, disconnect from your family, stay with the point. The point is you need someone outside of yourself. You need someone outside of your family. Mm. Number one thing, Get wow. you a partner. You need someone to walk through this life with. Wow. Someone to journey with. A coach, a mentor, a therapist, a counselor. Absolutely. A friend. Wow. That's amazing. Man, we have uh, covered some serious ground here. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this interview off. But first... We have to do our thought exercise. <laughs> I refuse to end this episode without a thought exercise. And um I think it's so important that we that we take something away, something tangible. You know, there's so much to think about, right? But the thought exercises for me are action items that I can start right now. You can listen to the podcast as many times as you want. In fact, please do and leave a five-star review and rating because I need that. But the thought exercises are something that we can all start to implement and build on right away. And that will drastically change our lives and empower us to reach new potentials in ways we didn't think were possible before because we lacked the 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 mental strategy perspective exercise and so um in every interview we always like to end with a thought exercise um, because more than just having great conversation i want everyone who listens to this to walk away with something tangible 
that they can start to work on. They can start to exercise themselves on. Their their mind can start to really nurture and 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 nibble on and digest um, because it's great to have people talk around you, but when someone sends you home with homework, something you can actually apply, that's different. You know, we all have. You know, we we we've heard the self development talks and things like that, and you know they can all go round and round and round and round. But if you don't have something that you can really start to do today. You can really start to implement now. That kind of builds that 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 stickiness, that consistency. Um, I think it's all for naught. So I love the thought exercise segment and I would really uh, love to hear you give our audience, anybody who's listening, uh, a thought exercise. So, um, Albert, uh, take it away. (laughs) Well, the thought exercise probably be a little different today, uh, because it's actually going to be homework and it's homework for you to do in your own time. Uh, but it's going to challenge you and it's going to challenge you because there's this concept of this thing called purpose. And a lot of people say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know how to find my purpose. I know I'm here for a reason. I know I'm supposed to do something, but I have no idea what my purpose is. Thought exercises, I want you to figure out what your purpose is. I want every listener to do that. And the first thing I want them to do is I want them to take a look the same way we talked about being transparent. Look at your life. I want you to start first by looking at what do I enjoy? There's a lot of things that we enjoy. And a lot of people say, if you find something you enjoy, you'll find your purpose. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't agree with that. Your purpose may be the thing that you least enjoy. There's a lot of things I enjoy doing you enjoy doing we enjoy doing theater theater is not my purpose and so but chronicle a list of things I enjoy next I want you to make a list of things that you don't enjoy what will probably surprise you is that on the things that you don't enjoy, there will be things that you actually do well, but I just don't enjoy doing them. Mm. Maybe that's writing. Maybe that's speaking. Maybe that's cleaning. Maybe you're an excellent cleaner, but you're like, I hate cleaning up, but I'm really good at it. I clean better than most people around me, you know? And so make a list of things you don't enjoy. Next, what I want to challenge you to do is look at the things you enjoy doing. Look at the things that you don't enjoy doing. And I want you to mark off everything on both of those lists that you're not willing to die for. Because your purpose is the thing 
that you're willing to die for. And if you do that, because see, what did I just tell you? What I told you in short is make a list of, of both. Everything I like to do and everything I don't like doing. And then I want you one by one to look at each item. And if it's something that I enjoy doing, but I'm not willing to die for it, I love theater. I love live theater. I can tell you right now, I'm not willing to die for live theater. There are people who will say, I would die for live theater. And there may be something on your list that you don't enjoy doing. I don't enjoy writing. The practice of it is time consuming, but when I think about it, writing is so critical to something I'm doing. I would actually die for it. And so what 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 happens after that? So you when you end up with these things, when you see the things that you would die for, I'm tell you that 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 is your purpose. We call Christ purpose, and if you don't know by now, I'm a Christian, so, you know, nothing against anybody who's not. Um, but most of us have probably heard the saying, the passion of Christ. And a lot of times when we think about purpose, we think about it from the standpoint of passion, meaning compassion, the things that we love, the things, and that's why I said start with the things you like to do. But there's another side of passion. The other side of passion is the hard part. It's not the love. I am so passionate about something that it, it, it is a thing that, that at times can be um, very distasteful. But I'm passionate about it. It has great meaning to me. It's not a love. It is a burning. It's a yearning. And I'm so dedicated to it, I am willing to give up my own life for it. And, and that is when you will know your purpose. And, and what I'll tell you is then, and once you identify that, then begin to live that out. Yeah. And, and, and this is my concluding thought. There is a difference in having purpose around you, being in or near and around your purpose, there's a difference in just simply knowing your purpose. G.I. Joe said it best. You don't know what G.I. Joe said? <laughs> he said, knowing is only half of the battle. So you don't know who, G did you just wait, pause. You've taken me totally out of my moment. Did you say you don't know who GI Joe is? No, I just don't know what saying. Oh, okay. I was getting ready to be, <laughs> we're both laughing because I totally interrupted this deep moment. Cause I'm like, did he just say he doesn't know who GI Joe is? No, I didn't know that, 
Okay, yeah. Knowing is only half the battle. He ended every show by saying that that way. Or every comic, if you read the comics. But right back to where we were. So just knowing your purpose isn't good enough. Being in or around your purpose is not good enough. But what I want to challenge you and every listener to do from this day forward is to live in your purpose on purpose. When I am in my purpose, doing the thing I'm called to do on purpose, the difference is intentionality. That's right. That's right. Purpose can find me. It can land in my lap. But when I'm intentional about it, it becomes a different thing and it grows and you will see the fruit of it. A lot of people... Maybe even some people listening today, they they say, wow, Albert seems different. And um, I get that all the time. And it's not as much about law school or any other change I've made. It's not so much about me not drinking. It's not about a lot of things that I stopped doing in um, 2020. Uh, It is 100% about the fact that in 2020, probably for the first time in my life, I started living in my purpose on purpose. Wow. Okay, y'all. Make a list of things that you love, a list of things that you do not like, and then you need to make a list of the things that you're willing to die for. Cross off everything on those lists that you are not willing to die for. And live in your purpose on purpose. Mm, I gotta make some lists. Yeah. I gotta make some lists. The things that'll be left over and you'll be shocked. Man, because if you do, do it right, if you do it right and you do it in a very transparent way, if you do it right, you will have things on both the list will be left. If you do it right. Wow. Don't just go through with a pen like, I don't like that. Cross <laughs> off, I don't like that. But really think about it, even if it's something you don't like. Are you willing to die for it? Are you, do you feel so strongly convicted about that thing that, that you would give up your life for it? Literally. Now, if you have nothing left on your list, then, then for those people who say I did the task and I got down and I crossed off everything because it was, there was nothing on either list, what I love and what I don't love that I wasn't willing to die for, then their task will be to make another list. And on the next list, don't put any of the things that were on that list. Because no. you've got to dig deep. You've got you to dig deep. Because if you just dig off all the things that you were, are not willing to die for, I'm going to tell you, you didn't dig deep enough. Right. Because there's got to be something. That you're willing to die for. Wow. Ugh. Man, thank you so much for that. That is uh that's a lot. That's a lot. This was awesome. This was awesome. Thank you so much, man. I, I, I do all these thought exercises uh, with the audience. I do all every one of the thought exercises that has come through this podcast I have done. And I've experienced tremendous personal growth through doing them. Um, and I really recommend that you take these thought exercises and you use them. You use them. This, you may never speak to somebody who will tell you to do this. 
ever again in your life. You may never have this experience. I didn't have this experience until this moment. And I'm 30 years old. I don't know how old you are listening, but what I do know is that you're right here listening for a reason. And so don't let this moment pass you by and don't uh, uh, and, and, and deter you, make you nervous about taking action. And so um, I'm definitely going to do this, this thought exercise, and uh, I encourage you to do it as well. And, and, you know, you can always send me an email or drop a comment. You can find me on all the socials, uh, Empower You Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, Empower You Pod on Twitter. Um, I'm on YouTube, Empower You Podcast. Tell me what you think of these things. Um, I would love, love, love to hear from you. Um, I'm going to let uh, our guest um, give some closing remarks and we're going to shut it down. Albert, is there anything you'd like to say before we uh, we end the interview? Um, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, just thank you so much for having me. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Your questions uh, have caused me to dig deep and to, to look deeper into my own life and what it is that I could offer. And um, I look forward to coming back again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to have you back, man. I would love to have you back. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, for 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 hanging in there, for being here and checking us out and, and spending some time with Empower You podcast. Uh, I will see you or hear you or engage with you in another episode. Y'all be good now. Peace. Empower You Podcast is devoted to bringing real-world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you.